Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. Hey, Rob. Hey, Gary. How you doing this morning, my friend? I am doing swell. All How right. are you doing? Hey, hanging in there. Another beautiful day. What can I say? It is. It's a nice long weekend, too. Here we oh, are. Yeah. Labor Day weekend. People are house hunting. They're saying, actually, this is uh, the last hurrah before the holiday season. That's yeah, that's usually how it works. I mean, we see in the real estate market, a lot of people, there's a line in the sand around that Labor Day where it's like, hey, kids back to school, vacations are kind of dwindling down, right? And people are getting back into the fall season, then we got the winter, and it's like the pumpkin spice time of year, right? (laughs) That's really what we know. Everything is pumpkin spice. I saw pumpkin spice dawn detergent. Oh, wow. No, and I'm like, that's what? too much. That's wow. too much. Pumpkin spice. Why does that need to be pumpkin spice? It just, hey, it brings in that fall time of year. And I feel like at least when I talk to a lot of clients out there, as we get more towards the holiday, unfortunately, a lot of people see that as like, let me let go a little bit of responsibility when it comes to finances, right? You got gifts you got to be getting for people. And I know that sounds crazy, but people already start thinking about that earlier. Once we hit that Halloween, you know, end of October, that's where you really see things pick up with that. But I already have clients now that are, you know, talking and budgeting for that holiday season. How does that affect the housing industry? Uh, I mean, generally, housing is going to be the most uh, robust in the summertime, sure. right? Yeah. Well, That's just that. historically, no matter what's happening, because the majority of people buying single family homes are families, right? And most families have kids and those kids need to go to school. So it all kind of reverse engineers <laughs> around when the kids go back to school. So ideally, you're going to have a lot of activity or just generally in the market in like that, I'd say April, May, mm-hmm. and then August, September is when you start seeing it kind of dwindle down, right? The time that we're in right now. And as we get more towards the end of the year, it's like each holiday, each month that passes, you you kind of peel back more and more people that go away and they just kind of bow out of the housing market. And that could mean whether it's, you know, getting a new mortgage to refi or home equity or buying a new home kind of all comes with that same, you know, the same puzzle you got to put together, right? So here we are once again. <laughs> how um how busy are you right now? You know, I've been I've been pretty busy given the circumstance because I hear a lot of my colleagues, people are saying, hey, if you're in mortgage or real estate, go on vacation now. Like this is our downtime. This is time to get away. Like we work hard, you know, so hard when the market is really hot, when the rates are good, right? And everyone's there's a lot of activity. But then now Let's be honest. It's not exactly what people would say the most favorable economic conditions to be getting a mortgage, buying a home, right? But people are still doing it. So I was surprised because I just finished up my first full month at my new uh, home, eMortgage, EMC. And, you know, you never really have expectations for the first month, right? Who knows? I was prepared to have a couple month ramp up. And because things are so efficient and the lenders we work with are awesome, four fundings my first month, not even a full month. I didn't start till August 2nd. And by the end of August, I had four fundings, which I was expecting maybe zero to one, right? So I really, really went up. So to ask me how I'm doing, you know, I'm doing well. What are you attributing that to? I mean, I attribute that to my tenure in the industry. You know, I've been here for decades. I put out a lot of content online. I've got a lot of people reaching out to me. 
um, because of the presence that I have locally and just nationwide as a mortgage advisor. So that's part of it. The repute or the, uh, the relationships that I've built with a lot of real estate agents that helps mm-hmm. at a time like now. Also, I will tell you that a lot of the programs that I'm using now, I didn't have access to before. So like home, you know, these home equity lines of credit that we can do in five days, it used to take 30 days, 45 days. Now we can do them in five days. That's a huge piece of success because a lot of these loans that are coming in are that product, right? If I was using a normal bank loan, it could take 30 to 60 days. And in that case, I'd only closed, you know, one or two deals for the month, which, hey, again, new, new setup, new home. But to hit the ground running and have a bunch of fundings already and then have, you know, another four to six lined up for the next month, like in this industry, talking to a lot of people that do marketing to be even doing three to five loans a month right now, transactions, if you're a realtor, a couple a month, you're in the top 1%. You are in the high echelon because a lot of people are leaving. A lot of people are bowing out. If you can't close a couple deals a month in real estate and mortgage, how do you pay your bills? You can't. And there's not a lot of transactions to go around right now. So I'm doubling down, right? I'm putting out more content than I've ever put out before. I'm putting out more just posts all over, YouTube videos, just everything, and building that because I know that it's going to shift and it's going to change. And by that point, it's too late. Are people leaving the housing industry? Are we seeing a decrease in real estate agents? I mean, if if the supply is minimal, I mean, there's it, it, it's only yeah, there's a but, lot but of the real whole, estate but the ancillary. I mean, there's there's all there's inspectors, right? You know, there's assessors, there's mortgage appraisers, lenders, there's appraisers. appraisers. I mean, yeah, it, they're is going the, by the wayside. They quick. are okay. Yeah. Well, look, a lot of that is technology based. So just for example, we've talked about, you know, that's not the topic of the show, but no, no. because of technology and how much it's advanced, like there doesn't need to be as many underwriters anymore. There doesn't need to be as many home inspectors. There doesn't need to be as many appraisers because a lot of that is now automated. A lot of that is now being done through AI and through technology, especially the appraisal piece. That's the piece that, you know, there's only so many appraisals that need to get done. Now they're being done a lot of AVM, which stands for an automated valuation model. It's done using AI and public data. So the need for appraisers to do all this work and diligence What used to take them a week, AI can do in less than a day, sometimes less than an hour. So that's crazy. And I think we're starting to see that in the other parts of the real estate market with realtors. A lot of people now, they're they're doing their search online. They don't need an agent to just find a couple homes. What they do need, though, is an advisor and an expert. So that kind of brings me to the topic of today, Gary, which is creative financing. In this market, because it's so different and by many would say difficult, to get a deal, right? If you're a buyer, it's difficult to get a property under contract. If you're a realtor, it's difficult to find properties to list. So creative financing kind of comes to the rescue. And we've seen it in other markets decades ago as rates went up. Creative financing kind of saved the day for a lot of people. And I will tell you, it's counterintuitive for me to talk about creative financing on this show because I don't make a dime by giving you this golden nugget about creative financing. (laughs) These are strategies that don't involve you getting a mortgage from me or another advisor. In most cases, these aren't going to involve any new mortgage at all. We're talking about, you know, assumable loans and 
other innovative strategies that don't require a brand new loan. So I thought, though, because I'm seeing these used more now, because it's a seldom talked about thing, it's important to empower our listeners with this knowledge. Whether you get a mortgage from me or not, you need to know this information to make the best decision for you and the other people that you're helping. I mean, look, I mean, maybe you can help explain then what exactly creative financing strategies are and you know, how they can actually benefit home buyers and real estate investors, especially in a high interest rate environment. Yeah. So these creative financing strategies that we're going to cover today are they're more innovative approaches to securing real estate. And when I say more innovative, we're not just talking about going out and getting a regular mortgage or talking to a mortgage advisor and going through the normal pre-approval. Like that's what we've covered before. And for 95 percent of people, that might work and that's fine. And that's what, you know, most people do. But this market is not normal. This market is unique and you need to have unique and creative ways to kind of get around this, right? Mm -hmm. So the flexibility that creative financing is going to give for both first-time buyers and investors is going to give you a leg up over, again, just the normal conventional mortgage model. So the three main, or three or four main strategies that we're going to focus on in today's show, number one is assumable mortgages. Number two is going to be seller finance or seller mortgages, lease options or lease option to buy. And last thing is going to be private lending. So, you know, these are things that you may not have heard of. Maybe you've heard of them. You don't know what they are. We're going to really unpack this in today's episode. All right. So then let's start with this. Uh, some of the alternative financing options that buyers and investors can consider in an environment like we are in right now. What, what, are, what, right. Would, you, what would you say well, some of them are? So let's step back and say, what environment are we in right now? Oh. We're in an increasing rate environment. We've seen the interest rates really skyrocket over the last 12 to 24 months. Everyone would agree that. Um, so that's where we're at. When you start looking at that, a lot of these other financing methods, these creative strategies, they actually become feasible. They actually become attractive because in a lot of markets, I would say to you, why would you take a private mortgage, for example, that's at 10% when you could get a conventional loan that's at 4 right? Doesn't make sense. But if the conventional rates are at seven or eight, that 10% doesn't sound so bad, does it? <laughs> and if that 10% gives you more equity, more flexibility, less stress, maybe it's worth taking a second look at, right? Rent to own agreements, you know, that's a big one. So rent to own agreements are going to be mainly for a first time home buyer. That's usually where we see it used. A first time home buyer that maybe doesn't qualify right now to buy a home because they don't have enough money available. They don't have enough credit available. They just don't qualify. Maybe they just started a business, you know, two months ago and they're doing well, but they can't get that conventional or government backed mortgage that we talk so much about. The rent to own strategy allows them to rent that property that they ultimately will buy and have a portion of their rent going towards that down payment, have a portion of their rent going towards those closing costs. So it allows you to rent and save at the same time. And again, a lot of times with there's so much inventory, so many buyers, no one's really thinking about this. Nowadays, these rent to own agreements may be the only way that you as a buyer can secure that home that you really want. All right. Give me some examples of how creative financing has benefited some of your clients. Quite a few examples. The seller finance. So, you know, seller financing is when the seller is going to act as the lender. So instead of getting a, a, a loan okay. from a bank or yep. a mortgage lender like myself or mortgage broker, 
you're going to completely get the bank is gone. There's no bank involved. It's the bank of the the seller, <laughs> the bank of the homeowner, right? So they're going to allow you to actually take possession of that home, own that home, but you're not actually having a institutional mortgage. Generally, there's not going to be a mortgage reported on your credit when you're using seller financing. So the story is I had a, a buyer that was having trouble getting a mortgage because they had a recent bankruptcy. They had a bankruptcy like eight months earlier. They couldn't qualify for any of the normal loan programs that we looked at. But they found the right house and they they had the deal worked out and they just couldn't get the mortgage. So the seller owned the house free and clear. Didn't own a mortgage, anything. The seller did financing for them at the market rate. So at the time, the market rate was around 6.5%. The seller did a mortgage for them at 6.5%. And then they were able to actually refinance the home after that, a couple of years later. With a bank. Yes, with a regular bank and pay off that seller. Okay. So, you know, these are generally going to be, you know, not necessarily like 10 or 20 or 30 year programs or timelines, but these are generally going to be like right now in economic turmoil, right? Right now when there's a situation where maybe it doesn't make sense or you can't get a regular loan. That doesn't mean though that that's going to be the case six months, a year, five years from now. So generally when we're using creative finance, it's to get you in the door. It's to get that property, get that acquisition. Once you're in that property for a year, a couple years, and you've got a track record, now we can get you a regular mortgage and get rid of that creative financing. You know, so that's important. And then the other thing is the assumable mortgages. So assumable mortgages allow you to actually take over a seller's mortgage. So they might have a mortgage, say, through the VA. They've been paying on it for years. They've got a great rate. Maybe they have a two and a half, three and a half percent rate from years back, right? Everyone wants that now. I've been seeing sellers enticing people by saying, hey, you want to buy my house? I'll give you my two and a half percent mortgage rate. Now, this is not the end all That's be all. That's not common, is it? I'm seeing it more and more common, but there's, there's fine print. It's not as good as it sounds. Um, and I'll tell you what the fine print is right now, because really no real estate pros that talk about this when I see it online or whatever, no one really talks about the fine print. And the fine print is that you as the buyer have to come up with the difference between the sales price and what they owe on the house. In a lot of cases, that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. So while it sounds good, it's really a marketing ploy in a lot of cases. The case where I can say it's very useful is if you are going to buy a home below market value. You're working out a deal where the house is worth, say, 500. You're able to get a deal for 400 and the homeowner currently only owes, let's say, 375 on the house, right? Now, there's not a big gap to come up with and you capture that two and a half, three percent rate, that low rate. But if you... When I had a a client of mine come to me and say, hey, Rob, I'm actually advertising to others to buy my home using my, he had an FHA loan at, I think, 2.875 I had helped him years ago get. And he was having trouble selling his home. He had gone through multiple realtors and just had a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. And he put, or his realtor put on the advertising of the home that it's an assumable loan at 2.875. And that generated a lot of activity. Did it end up with anyone doing anything with it? No, but he actually ended up with a buyer getting a regular mortgage as a result of them coming in through that marketing tactic. The scenario that you presented just prior to that where the owner was going to do the financing yes. yourself, that's, provi- that's providing that the owner doesn't need that money to 
Absolutely. purchase his own home, his next home, right? Well, yes and no. So generally, like there's some tax strategy with that. You can actually save money from what I understand as a seller using seller finance because instead of getting all the money up front, you're just getting it slowly over time. So there's definitely a tax savings and a tax strategy there for the seller. But if you need all the money from the sale of your property to go buy another or put down on another, then seller finance is probably not going to be viable. But you're finding a lot of people today they're more open to that and they're able to do it because many homeowners, I think it was something like 30% of homes in the US are owned free and clear. So there's a lot of opportunity for this if you find the right deal, the right seller. How does a buyer's credit worthiness, we'll call it, how does that impact the eligibility for creative financing options? Yeah, so when we're talking about normal mortgage options here, we're looking at credit night and day, right? Like that is what drives the process. But one of the great things about creative finance is it doesn't need to be a big part of of the process. It can be. You always want to have good credit. You're always going to have easier time getting a loan and just moving forward financially with good to excellent credit. Um, But in creative finance, it's creative. So if the seller doesn't care and maybe you have a relationship with them or maybe they just like you. I mean, I've seen scenarios where people just need to get rid of a property and they will pull out all the stops to make it happen. And even in crazy markets like now where there are a lot of buyers and limited inventory, sometimes just getting a deal done easily, quickly, swiftly, like that means more than squeezing out an extra 10, 20, or even 50 grand from a property. I know that sounds crazy, but there's just, there's death, there's divorce, there's, you know, a lot of scenarios that happen regardless of the economy Mm -hmm. that drive some of this creative finance stuff for sure. So there's more flexibility, better credit opens up more options and more favorable terms, but you may have an option where you don't need to show your credit at all. Folks, you are listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast along with Rob Weinberg. I'm Gary Byron. You can check him out online very easily at www.robgw.com and set up a consultation, 860-413-3938. And if you didn't get that, if I spoke too fast, listen, I'm going to repeat all of that and uh, include an email address more more towards the end of the show. Rob, are there any potential risks or maybe even uh, like downsides associated with using this type of financing? Oh, yeah. There, yeah, are, I would imagine there so. are huge risks and downsides. <laughs> That's why not everyone does it. Yeah. That's why it's not even on a lot of people's radar because creative finance, there's less oversight, right? When you're dealing with like an assumable mortgage or a private lender or a seller, you know, there's not as much oversight as if you're dealing with an institution, a bank, a broker. Because it's not really regulated, I would think, right? Exactly. You really need to understand the terms and risks of what you're getting into. It's very easy with creative finance to get bamboozled. It really is. It's very easy to get scammed Mm -hmm. as a buyer or a seller, uh, just because there's so many pieces to the puzzle that normally all these professionals are involved in, the Department of Banking, the Real Estate Board, et cetera, and oversight. And here, They're not really looking at all that in most cases. So what I see as the solution and how most of my clients that have used this financing strategy have actually overcome obstacles and the risks is by hiring and having on your wealth team a top-notch real estate attorney. Like That's how you can mitigate almost all the risks here is by don't get cheap. Don't hire the cheapest guy in town. Like This is a case where you want to go for 
the the creme de la creme. You want to go for the guy that charges more with more experience because one bad move here, you could be dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistake that you need to get out of. So that attorney, even if they just double check the work and give you that confidence to move forward, that's huge. One of the or a couple of the big downsides that we see with the creative finance strategies is going to be balloon payments. Balloon payments haven't been talked about for decades. They were, with a car, isn't it? Um, if you lease, no, nah, not necessarily. If you lease well, a car, you get I a guess, balloon payment at the end. Yeah, right? so they were really common in mortgage, from what I understand, in like the eighties and nineties. There was a lot of mortgages you could take out like a thirty-year with a fifteen-year balloon. So it'd give you a thirty-year mortgage payment, but at the end of fifteen years, the loan ends. You have to pay it off by either refinancing or selling, and if you don't, they will foreclose on the home. But you can always refinance it. Can you always? What if you have no job? What if you have bad credit? What if you're divorced and, you know, everything's gone to crap? Can you refinance it? So, yes, in a perfect world, you can refinance it. But what happens a lot is with these balloon payments, you know, they're coming. And unless you're preparing way ahead, it can catch you at the worst possible time. So balloon payments and then short terms. A lot of times these creative finance strategies, they're going to be, like I said earlier, maybe a year or two or three, right? They're not trying to have this money sitting out for 20 or 30 years like an institutional mortgage. So what that means to you is you got to know the terms. What's your timeline? Maybe you're doing seller finance and it's a two-year deal or a three-year deal or even a five-year deal. It's much more dangerous than even an adjustable rate because the seller can take the property a lot easier, especially if they have the contract written in a way that protects them over you, the buyer. So then how can the buyer then evaluate whether a particular creative financing option is even suitable for their specific situation? So you have to evaluate your long-term goals with the property, right? Every house is going to be different. I do not recommend using creative finance, you know, generally if you're just winging it, if you don't have a very, very clear exit strategy, this will come back to bite you. A lot of the people that I see using creative finance are very experienced real estate investors that understand these concepts and have done it before. When I see a first-time buyer use it, it's okay, but they've got to have the team behind them to help, which can be that real estate advisor, real estate agent, that attorney like we were talking about, local professional real estate attorney. I feel like if you have the right team, you can navigate creative finance. If you try to wing it and do it on your own, don't have a clear exit strategy, guaranteed you're going to screw it up. I've never heard of anybody that's been able to navigate creative finance on their own without an advisory panel. And even my very astute investor clients, multi, multi-millionaire clients of mine that own many, many properties, they even have real estate attorneys. They have agents. They have a team. So why would they and not you, especially when you're trying to build up? So you want to keep that you know, in your uh, front view mirror. You want to have multiple options available when it comes to your exit strategy. Like we were talking about the refi. What if you can't refi? Well, What's uh, plan I never, B? I never thought What's of that. What's plan C? Yeah. And you'll, you'll be surprised how many people get into a situation, whether it be an adjustable rate mortgage, a balloon mortgage, or seller financing, where they can't get out and they have to sell. How does it change the whole dynamic of the role of each real estate professional in, in let's say, just guiding the client through the process? Yeah. So, you know, normal transaction, the realtor is going to help you negotiate. The mortgage broker is going to help you get the loan, right? That's kind of where it ends. If it all goes smooth, we move forward. With this, a lot more moving parts, a lot more that can go wrong. Because the realtor is not only helping you negotiate the price of the home, but they're also going to be... uh actually helping you negotiate in many cases the financing, right? Whether it's 
getting that assumable mortgage set up or the seller finance, the private lending, whatever it may be, uh, that's huge, you know, and the lease option. If you're doing a lease option, I've seen so many people screw that up. They think, hey, I've got a lease option. I'm good. They don't have an attorney review it. They don't have a mortgage advisor review it. Then they go to actually buy the house a year or two down the road and they can't buy it because they screwed the contract up or the money that they've been putting in wasn't written correctly into the contract. So it's not being applied the way that they thought it was. The mortgage advisor can help you figure out the viable loan programs and strategies. And most of all, help you with that long-term exit strategy. Cause a lot of times that exit strategy will be getting you in, into a government or a conventional loan. Where does that start? When should you start looking at that? The sooner, the better. All That's right. for sure. Are there any situations or markets or scenarios where these financing strategies, financial are actually more effective? Yeah, I would say more effective in a competitive market like uh-huh. we're in right yeah, now, where you right. have to sit, you have to think outside of the box. You really do. Everybody's coming to the table with a solid pre-approval letter. Everybody's coming to the table with, you know, all their cards shown, right? Yeah. Best and final. What can you bring to the table that's different? What can you bring that's creative? What can you bring, most importantly, that's going to get the seller to their goal? That's where the realtor can really help you. They can get that on-the-ground intel from other agents and know the market to help you figure out and craft that offer to make sure that you're going to get the deal. Investors really benefit from this. I mentioned investors are huge partakers in creative finance. They have more control on the terms and ultimately they have more control on their bottom line. And for an investor, that's key. First time buyer, they just want to make sure they can get in the house and afford it. An investor needs to make sure that the numbers work, the cash flow is there and everything lines up. So that's really where we see it. And I'm seeing it more and more right now. Let me ask you one more question that I got to wrap things up, Rob. How can someone ensure that they're working with a reputable lender or a financial professional when they're considering an unconventional financing method? Yeah, so it's really easy just to step in and go with the realtor or mortgage lender you've been working with and just say, hey, let's wing it and go. Like, you got to step back, though. Make sure that your team is optimized, fine-tuned for this type of transaction. How do you do that? Check your advisors out online. Excuse me. Put their name into Google. Put their name into Facebook. Put their name into YouTube. Do they have a presence? Do they have reviews? Do they have a reputation to uphold? If you're putting someone's name in and you're not getting anything back or there's like very, very little, I would say look elsewhere. I would say evaluate other options. Get recommendations from other professionals. If you've got an awesome mortgage advisor that knows how to help you navigate this, find out from them. Hey, I'm looking to buy a house in Hartford. Who's your top agent in that area? Who's a couple people I should talk to? I make those recommendations all the time. Lastly, interview a few people to see who you fit best with and ask the, excuse me, ask the tough questions. You need to ask them, do they have experience with this? Tell some stories, tell some success, even tell some failures about things that went wrong. We've all got them, the good, the bad, and the ugly. you got to have transparency in the uh, process. I, I, listen, I admire you because you've got no dog in this fight, but yet you still gave some real solid advice. Folks, you've been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. You can check them out online if you like more information on this or any of the other topics that we discussed on this show in previous episodes. Very easy to do that. Head online to robgw.com. By the way, if you've got a question that you'd like to have answered right here on these very airwaves, simply shoot us an email at mortgage matters radio show at gmail.com. And by the way, if you'd like to schedule a consultation with Rob, write this number down 860 413 39 
888-413-3838. I'll say it again for you. 860-413-3938. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. So long.